we have been studying this thing. It's part of a long study that we're doing. This thing about what the Bible teaches us about man. And we've just put the big picture of it from creation to redemption. We spent the last number of weeks under the heading of redemption, and we've broken that down even further into this topic of regeneration. That regeneration is an absolute part of this thing called redemption. We saw a couple weeks ago that uh, there was, we, we, we looked at it this way, there was the necessity of regeneration. Jesus said you must be born again. Regeneration is required by the Son, is what we said. And then we saw that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we just said simply there, regeneration is acquired through the Holy Spirit. A necessity, which is the work of the Spirit of God. That was easy to set up. Last week, we said, okay, well, we've got this topic of regeneration in front of us. There's a lot of things that relate to it, and we can't quite put them into a, into a logical progression like that. So we said, we're going to call it the regeneration swirl. We're just going to put them out there, mix them together, and say, this is all part of what we're talking about. And last week, we saw this when it comes to regeneration. We saw that the author of regeneration is for us. We sang about that this morning. If, if God is for us, then what can stand against us? We sang that this morning. That's straight out of Romans chapter 8. That God is on our side. The message of the entire concert last night dealt with this, this reality that, man, we're broken, but there's a God in heaven who is reaching out to us and seeking to uplift us, and he wants good things for us. The next thing that we noticed in the swirl is that the offer of regeneration will free us. Jesus said, if the Son of Man has made you free, then you are free indeed. Paul said in the book of Romans that we have not been given the spirit of fear, uh, a spirit of bondage, again, the fear, but we've been given the spirit of liberty, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we have been set free. We do not need to remain in bondage to those things that enslave us. We don't have to remain there. Those things we've all looked at. I want to finish up the swirl with just two thoughts this morning. The next one is the power of regeneration will transform us. Now, we've talked about being transformed before. I want us to basically key in on to this concept of the power of, the, of God's work within us. That this is not something that we simply work out on our own. It is not something that we in our own strength accomplish. It is something that God works in us. In Ephesians chapter 3, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, we read this, that he, and this is Paul considering prayerfully speaking of the Ephesians, what they would understand, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ with patches knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him he was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. There is a dynamic relationship in which the Spirit of God invades our life 
brings resurrection power to us, and by that we are being changed. By that we're being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. That which was lost at the fall by the power of God is being restored into us, or in us, I should say. And that is the dynamic working of God's Spirit that is at play in His people, those who have entered into this thing called redemption, those who by faith have been born again, those who by faith have received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So the, the emphasis there I want us to get is simply the, the power concept. And Paul deals with this again in one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 we again get this sense, now you've heard this passage before, it's familiar to you, but we want to key in on one particular part. Paul sets himself up in describing himself. He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy, he had religion down cold. I mean, this guy did it all. He knew how to walk as a highly respected Pharisee within the religious system of the Jews, and he was respected. People looked up to him. He did it right. And notice what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me? All of this religious system that he had. What things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. You understand that statement. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness. He's just set aside all of the self-righteousness that he gained in the religious system that he was in under the Jewish law. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, notice this, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says at all costs, here's what I want to know. I want to know the Spirit's powerful working in me, that I die to myself, that it's not about me, it's about God shaping Christ in me, that I'm known for being in Christ, who I am, that's my identity and everything else I let go. And I want God's power to be transforming me, that Christ might dwell in me, that his image might come forth in me as this work goes on, as this dynamic work of the Spirit of God goes on. I'm trying to feed us one question to help us contemplate each of these four points of the swirl. Here's the question. Am I still trying to be good enough? Or am I still trying to be something enough? See, Paul, he was good enough under the old system. He threw it all out the window. It's, I was good enough. I measured up. I was top of the heap. And I threw it all out because I recognized being good enough wasn't it. I need God's Spirit to be at work in me to transform me. Recall speaking with a dear friend a number of years ago. And he said that when he was a young boy, teenager, 
Now, this guy is a faithful servant of the Lord. Understand that, okay? Loves the Lord, wants to serve the Lord, is in full-time vocational ministry, but he was still plagued by the fact that when he was a teenage boy, his father said, you're lazy. And he was trying to outlive this this label put on him by his father that he was lazy. And he was trying to get beyond that. i got to ask the question. How many of us live with something that requires us that we be more in order to be enough? we got to be more of something to be enough. A parent, a, a sibling, a teacher who labeled us as stupid. And so now we're trying to We're trying to live past that. We're trying to be enough of something so we get past the moniker of being stupid because we don't want to be stupid. We knew we were unpopular, and so now we do whatever it takes in order to be popular. I don't know what it is in in a gathering like this as to what people might have, but I'm guessing many of us have something that we have spent years trying to be enough to run away from this thing that plagues us and pushes us. And Paul would say, forget it all. Don't try and be enough. It's all a game you can't win. Let God form Jesus Christ in you. Let the power of His Spirit at work in you create in you the image of Jesus Christ that you will be a unique expression of Him and His image in your life, and that is enough. And that's something that the Spirit will do. It's not something that we just try really hard to be even a better Christian. No. We seek the Lord for that place of transformation. It's about learning to walk in the Spirit's transforming power. Is that what we're seeking to do? Just for a moment, come back to this question of good enough. If I could be good enough, we understand Jesus' statement about you must be born again makes no sense. If I could be good enough. If I could be enough in my own self. Because that statement, you must be born again, that is you must be regenerated, is an absolute logical necessity. But if I can be good enough, that is not necessitated. So what do I do? I believe I can be good enough, so I keep trying, and I keep trying, and I keep trying. Funny thing, I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing. Huh? Why don't we admit reality? Accept the fact, I'm never going to be good enough in my own strength, but God's power at work in me by His Holy Spirit can transform me so I can live out of this new place, this new center, whereby Christ is being formed in me, and that's who I am, and that's where I live from. And I'll tell you what, friends, there's nothing like it. Because the weariness of that yoke, that burden of always trying to be something enough, will beat us down through the years. It will always beat us down. And even if we come to a place and we feel like we've attained it, we're going to turn around one day and say, is that all there is? I got here, I got to this place, and this is it? And we'll wonder why it's so empty. It's so empty because we still haven't been made into who God wants to make us in Jesus Christ. So the power of regeneration will transform us. 
And it'd get us off of that treadmill of always trying to be something enough. And the process of regeneration will fulfill us. It will satisfy us. Now, you'll notice there's three passages that we're going to look at, and we are going to look at all of them because we want to wrap up the study today. Three passages that we want to look at. I want to label the first one as the passage that help us address religious legalism. The second one, if you're writing notes, is the passage that helps us address philosophic idealism. And the third one is the passage that helps us address licentious hedonism. All things that we need to consider as we talk about being remade, as we talk about this regenerating process that is going on. In the first two, I lump them together because they're two different attempts to do the same thing. That is, in our own strength to improve our situation. The other one says, hey, because of God's grace, I don't need to improve. I can just walk off into sin, and that's fine. Well, these three passages will tell you all of those are the wrong perspective. What we'll learn is that the process of regeneration will fulfill us if we'll enter into that. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is, I was questioning whether or not, to be honest with you, we should read this much of this passage. Uh, but I think we need to put it out there and we're going to go with it. So, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We got that? It's about living according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Just restating again that the natural tendencies of our carnal mind, of our natural mind, of who we, were, our, who we were when we were born, of what each one of us comes into this world uh, bearing that burden. We started the concert last night by acknowledging all of us are broken. We all have that. And that broken carnal mind, that broken self-centered mind, that broken place where we all live cannot ever in its own strength live up to God's standards. Can't be done. Religious legalism will tell us strive really hard. And the text says clearly, cannot do it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 8 says. The reason why in verse 3, for what the law could not do that it was weak through the flesh. The law is just telling me what the standard is, just telling me how good I'm supposed to be does nothing to help me get there. And when I'm beginning in a place that I can't in my own strength get to that standard, 
reach that high, climb that high, be that good, what good does it do me to tell me that's how high you got to get when I can't even get two to three rungs up a thousand rung ladder? What good does it tell me that? Do to tell me that? That's all the law does. It says you got to get all the way to the top of this ladder and it's way out of your reach. But keep trying. You'll never make it, but keep trying. God requires it, but keep trying. Can't get into heaven without it, but keep trying. Hello? I can't do it. Where is any hope in that? There is no hope in that. But there's great hope in the fact that the Spirit of God is at work in me. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, from this cycle of being told I got to be perfect and I can't live up to it and I fall back into sin every time. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As the image of Jesus Christ is fashioned into me by the power of God, I can begin to live in a different way. And those things that enslaved me before, I can be set free from. And I can begin to move up that ladder, rung by rung by rung. And I can continue to move ahead and continue to grow. Won't reach the ultimate top until I get to glory. The Bible says we, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But I'm not caught in this cycle down here at the bottom that says, just keep trying even though we know you're going to lose. It's like, no, I'm starting the journey. And I'm moving forward. And... What I find is that as Christ is formed in me and I set the religious obligations aside and I allow God to do a work in my life, I find there's something very satisfying and very joyful about living in that place. There's nothing defeating about it whatsoever. So Romans 8, 1 to 8 helps us address religious legalism, our own religious means of attempting to better ourselves. Colossians 2, 8 to 10 will help us address philosophic idealism. This concept that says we can figure life out on our own, we can better ourselves on our own, and we can just move forward, make progress in life. And Paul cautions us against such a worldview, against those who would trip us up. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not, notice the contrast, according to Christ keeps coming back to Christ, doesn't it? To being in Christ. To being made new in Christ. To our identity in Christ. For in Him, that is in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So here's what he addresses. Those who would try and take us captive because they've got a philosophy, they've got a worldview, they think they are so smart, they can set God out of the picture, they can look and observe life around them, come up with a worldview and a way of living that entirely sets us free to move forward in a path of life that says, hey, you don't need that Jesus stuff, you don't need that God stuff, we can figure it out because we're really smart people here, you see, and just do what we tell you. Guess what? He says later in the chapter, he said, it all has a, a means of looking good, it all looks good, it all feels good, and in looking good and feeling good, you think you're making some progress. He said there's a problem with that worldview. It does nothing to address that each one of us has this thing called the flesh that's dead. 
So no matter what philosophic idealism you go to, nothing is being changed inside. And so we keep reproducing the same stuff of death that we reproduced before. So, So don't be caught up in that. Don't try and better yourself because you're going to really buy into some philosophy that sets God's redeeming work aside. It'll get you nowhere. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are in him and he is in you and the spirit of God is making his presence in you more and more to be the reality of how you live and where you live from and in that you will find there's a great joy, there's a great blessing, there's a great richness. As God, by the power of his spirit, changes you into the image of his son, you are complete in him. The process of regeneration will fulfill us. We'll find it's a great place to live. Now, those are two man-made ways of trying to improve ourselves, neither of which works. Religious legalism, philosophic idealism, Paul says neither of them work. But there's a third thing we can get caught up in. We've already identified. I want to come back to the book of Romans. I kept those two together simply because logically they fit about trying to better yourself. There's a third thing that we can, as we understand that that we are indeed forgiven in Jesus Christ, and Paul is so clear on that. Paul is so so, uh, straightforward about we are justified by faith not by works, he is so clear on that, that he knows it's going to raise a particular question. It's going to raise the question, well, if I'm justified by faith, why don't I just go ahead and sin? If where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, why don't I just keep sinning? That'll be a great life to live, you see, because each one of us have bought into a lie at some point. We bought into a lie that says, if I live in rebellion to God and, and, and I simply do what I want to do, I just do what I want, I would really be happy. If I could go about, fulfill all my desires, then I would finally be happy. And one of the things some people reject about a faith life and about a walking with Jesus Christ is because they realize, well, you don't just get to do whatever you want. And I want to do whatever I want because that's where the happiness and the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction is. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to sing the song about doing it my way at the end of my life and everybody will say, yeah, you were really incredible. Guess what? Paul says it doesn't add up that way. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. In in calling the Romans to look back to their life. See, they're in this process of God changing them. And he's discussing for them this whole thing of the Spirit's working. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You lived a life in which you were enslaved to sin. You thought that's the way it was. And you thought that was a good thing to be in rebellion to God. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's a very pointed question. Those things that that, that just, just now embarrass you to even consider. This is how I was living. What fruit did they really bring? What, What fulfillment to your life did they provide? What kind of lasting joy? What kind of deep internal richness were yours from those things that you went after them because you thought this will make me happy and they were just sin and they're just wrong and now you're ashamed of them. See, we all have that. We all know that. We've all been there. We know what shame feels like. We get it. 
Paul says there's no joy in those things. The end of those things is death. Licentious hedonism, do what you want type worldview, just leads to death. Because that's not where the fullness comes. But now having been set free from sin, now he gives the contrast. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In contrast to that, you're walking in a place where life is happening within you. And you're feeling it and you're experiencing it and you know it because the Spirit of God is creating the image of Jesus Christ in you. And it's good and it's satisfying and that's where you want to live because you go back to the old garbage and you're going to get the same old death and the same old shame and the same old fruit and it just doesn't satisfy. So the question as we consider this last part of this swirl Have we believed the lie? Have we believed the lie? What I consider the great cosmic lie that God does not have our best interest in mind and that living in rebellion to Him and heading off into sin is going to satisfy us. That's where the real joy comes from. Have we believed that lie? Are we believing that lie? I call it the great cosmic lie because that's exactly what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with at the very beginning. That they will better themselves by walking in rebellion to God. That they can become their own gods. That's the lie. Improve their life. We've said it here often. By by seeking more, they got far less. Do we believe that lie? Is there some place in our existence right now where we are just clinging to something that, man, I've I got to have this in my life because it's really going to enhance my life. It is enhancing my life. It's improving my life. If it's sin, friend, it's doing nothing for you. It's death. Plain and simple. It's death. And the only place where real life comes from is when we yield it up to the Lord. We say, God, by your spirit, I need you to change me here. And I need you to work out Christ-likeness on this issue again I don't know what it is for every individual sitting here. I can't speak for us. But the Spirit of God wants to minister to us. The Spirit of God wants to change us, and He will speak to us about those things. Are we believing the lie? When the Spirit of God says, there's something here you need to deal with, we say, I'll be happier if I keep walking in rebellion. No, we won't, because what we learn in the swirl is that the process of regeneration will fulfill us. The only truly satisfying place to live is when Jesus Christ is being formed in us and we're living out of the wholeness of that. That's where the joy is. And that's where it will sustain. And it will not let us down. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of considering your word. Thank you for that eternal work you do in transforming us by your spirit into your son's image that we might regain what was lost way back at the fall. Oh, We praise you for that, Father. I ask that each one of us might be sensitive to that place. That place where your spirit would speak to us and say, there's something here you need to deal with. Start with me, Father. Help me to be open to that moving of the spirit in my life and move throughout each one of us that Christ might be formed all more magnificently in us. I ask it in his precious name. Amen.